Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, living the eternal way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual tradition of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity, and it refers to our ability to bring our attention and our awareness uh, to rest in our essential nature as pure existence being. And when we do that, we have the experience of being restored to our original wholeness, no longer caught up in being identified with the contents of our mind, being distracted and fragmented in our awareness, but we can experience this wholeness. And that is yoga, abiding in the conscious awareness of our true self. It is self-realization, knowing our spiritual nature. And then, of course, yoga is living in harmony with that nature. And that is the topic that we are exploring today as we continue in this series of uh, lessons on the Bhagavad Gita and today is inside the soul the battle we must fight every day and the key to victory joining us today is Michael Nagler Michael is a professor emeritus of classics and comparative literature from uh, University of California at Berkeley where he co-founded the peace and conflict studies program he is the author of the search for a nonviolent future which received a two 2002 American Book Award, and it has been translated into several languages. Um, he also authored Our Spiritual Crisis, Recovering Human Wisdom in a Time of Violence, and the Upanishads, a translation and commentary with his uh, guru, spiritual teacher Sri Eknathaswaran, and other books, as well as many articles on peace and spirituality. Michael has consulted for the U.S. Institute of Peace and many other organizations and is the founder of the board of the Meta uh, Center for Nonviolence Education. He's worked on nonviolent interventions since the 70s and served on the interim steering committee of the Nonviolent Peace Force. As I mentioned already, he is a student of Sri Eknath Eshwaran, founder of the Blue Mountain Center of Meditation, and he's lived at the center's ashram in uh, Marin County since the 1970s. And you can find out more about Michael and his work at metacenter.org, M-E-T-T-A center.org. And his uh, teacher has a 
Well, a new book has been published of his teacher's commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita. There is, a, of course, an extensive uh, three-volume uh, translation and commentary that he has done on the Bhagavad Gita. But this new book is called The Essence of the Bhagavad Gita, A Contemporary Guide to Yoga, Meditation, and Indian Philosophy. Welcome, Michael. I'm so delighted that you're back with us on the Yoga Hour today. I am too, Ellen. Thank you very much. And before we dive into our topic, before we go on to the battlefield, uh, <laughs> let's, let's take a moment to begin with a centering meditation. We pause for a moment to open our hearts and our minds to divine omnipresence, to reflect upon one reality that is called by many names, that is the support and the substance of all that is, so we can know that right where we are, this divine reality is already present. It is present as you, as me, as everyone and everything. It is within us, around us, and between us. <clears throat> we cultivate peace in our hearts and in our minds by turning our attention to this divine self, this divine reality. Pulling our attention within as a turtle pulls its limbs inside its shell. We pull our attention back from being involved in sensory phenomena or being caught up in thought activity. And we allow our attention just to rest in the heart, in the core of our being. And we can use our breath to help us do that. Breathing in, just feel that you're pulling your attention within. Breathing out, feel that you're letting go, letting go of tension, letting go of stress. Just notice your breathing. And as we become quiet, we can become aware that we are actually that witness to thoughts and feelings arising and passing away. Becoming aware of this nature, this witness nature, brings peace to our hearts and our minds and our bodies. So we Invite that peace to flow into our bodies, into our minds, and into every thought and every action that we will take today. And we take a moment as we conclude this meditation and as we begin our conversation, <laughs> we take a moment to extend that peace to all beings everywhere. As we turn our attention to the teachings in the Bhagavad Gita, the first um, segment of the program today, we're going to talk about this battle that is portrayed in the Bhagavad Gita. And of course, the real battle that is within us, this battle that is portrayed in the Gita, is a universal one. The struggle of every person to live consciously, to live in the highest way, or as Paramahansa Yogananda put it, to live by the promptings of the soul and not simply from habits and patterns in the mind. Well, Michael, what do you see that the Bhagavad Gita tells us about this this inner battle? What is it really about? And not only that, you know, how is it possible for us to succeed or to win? Mm -hmm. Well, those are the critical questions uh, for every human being in our time and maybe in every time. 
It happens that this morning I was meditating on the third chapter of the Gita where I think this uh, battle is analyzed and articulated most clearly. Uh, as you know, many passages in the Gita, the really good passages, are inaugurated by a poignant question by Arjuna. Uh, and among those, I think this is the most poignant where Ar Arjuna says, why do I do things that I do not want to do, that I know am wrong, it's as though I are in the grip of some kind of power. Krishna, what is that power? And Krishna immediately says, it's selfish desire, comma, it's anger, krodha, and both of these arise from uh, the guna of rajas. So I think many of your listeners will be familiar with this theory of the three gunas, the three states of inertia, energy, and law, or balance which the intercombination of which really creates the phenomenal world, including us and our, our consciousness. And so this guna of restless energy, which drives us to try to cling to our individual self, creates these drives of selfish desire and anger, yeah, selfish desire to get something that we don't have, or get rid of something that we do have, anger when that doesn't work. And uh, then the Gita goes on to say, Krishna goes on to explain this uh, guna of rajas, this tendency of restless, aggressive action, resides in us, in our senses, our mind, and our intellect. That's, that's their habitat, habitat, so to speak. And it's in that arena, Ellen, that we have a chance of overmastering that power that is occluding our wisdom. Mm. And so we begin, Krishna immediately says, by mastering the senses. And that means not, as Yogananda was saying, not to let it push us into activity, but to experience it's uh, impulses. Krishna never says they shouldn't be there. He says it's experience them but not yield to them. And he uses a beautiful image in the previous chapter. He says just like rivers flow into the ocean but they don't make the ocean overflow. So desires flow into our mind but in the case of a wise person, man or woman, they do not overwhelm that person. She or he has the capacity still to decide, okay, do I do this thing? Is this for the good of all? Is this going to make me more aware of the beings around me? Or is this only going to harden my selfish, self-enclosed frame of reference and separate me from others? And uh, then we can act accordingly. And similarly with the mind and the intellect, these impulses are coming at us all the time. But we can develop what uh, the Gita calls vitnana, the capacity of a discriminative discernment, which allows us to tell, uh-oh, this one's coming from the ego, that one's coming from my higher self. So I'm not going to say no to the first one, yes to the second one. And so this discernment process goes on constantly as much as we want it to. Now, needless to say, and this is... This is where uh, Sri Ishran's approach uh, is very, very, very well focused. We can give a, give ourselves a much greater capacity to win this battle through the practice of meditation, and that's mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. that's what ch Chapter Six. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, very yeah. Happy. Yes, clearing the mind um, so that we have that power of discrimination, so the so the mind is not uh, clouded. I thought I would um, read these verses that you are referring to um, from mm -hmm. chapter three, and this I'm reading from the Eternal Way, the inner meaning of the Bhagavad Gita. This uh, commentary in the light of Kriya Yoga by Roy Eugene Davis. Uh, Arjuna asked, "By what influence is a person impelled to commit error?" as if by a force contrary to personal will, and then the response of Krishna, it is desire and anger born of Rajasguna, all-consuming and greatly injurious. Know this to be the enemy 
of, in parenthesis, he, he adds, of good intentions and of attempts at right endeavor. As fire is obscured by smoke, as a mirror by dust, as the embryo is enveloped by the membrane, so the intellect is obscured by passion. The knowledge even of the wise is obscured by this adversary, insatiable desire, O Arjuna. The senses, the mind, and intelligence are said to be the abode of desire which veils wisdom and deludes the embodied being. Therefore, and here we in here just to underline mm-hmm. what you have just said, Michael, control mm-hmm. your senses and banish this destroyer of discrimination and wisdom. And, and then the next verse is really helpful. The senses, some say, are superior. In truth, superior to the senses is the mind. Superior to the mind is the power of intellect, and superior to the intellect is the self. And as I was listening to you, I was thinking about the, um, the you know, the wonderful image um, that is used in Vedic teachings of the chariot as representing the various components, you know, of the body mind and. Um, and that image where we have the, the chariot with the horses and the reins and the driver seated in it, that the horses are the senses. And yes, so, <laughs> and so, you know, we can really grasp it, I think, really well. And we mm-hmm. see that image, you know, that we don't, we don't want to let the horses be in charge of where we're going. But, you know, without the power of discrimination and without uh, the control um, of the the uh, purified intellect, you know, um, then we do. We have the horses will uh, will just take off, <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. many you know many of us have have experienced that. That's a that's a human yeah. experience. Yeah, that's so, uh, that passage that you're referring to, Ellen, is in the Kato Upanishad in the mm-hmm. second half, and the the book of translations of Ishrans that I edited the Upanishads. Uh, as as a beautiful translation of that whole section. And incidentally, his uh, this small version of his Bhagavad Gita with just the te- the translation and little chapter headings that is uh, apparently the best selling translation of the Gita in English oh. right <laughs> worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful that his um, book, books have had such a wide yeah. uh, audience. So we we now have this sense of what this inner battle is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how to live in the highest way with our uh, wisdom. Uh, holding the reins and not the horses of the senses uh, taking off. And it's of course, you know, the Gita also you know begins with this wisdom of the necessity to understand who we really are, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what yeah. what our life is really about because we otherwise we don't really know, you know, how to be guiding this chariot mm-hmm. of life yeah. um, because we're not sure what, what <clears throat> the goal is and what the destination is. So that's really where the wisdom of the Gita begins. Mm-hmm. And another passage from the uh, Brihadaranyaka, uh, excuse me, no, this is from the Chandogya Upanishad, and I hear I'm thinking of Ishran's translation. He says, if you leave this planet without knowing who you are and what you truly desire, you have no freedom in this world or the next. Mm. And, and mm-hmm. of course, we are being bombarded by advertisements that tell us that to want something that we don't really want and mm-hmm. give us an extremely false picture of who we are. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one element in that chariot image uh, that I'd like to emphasize. It's incidentally, this whole Bhagavad Gita is taking place in a chariot. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> Arjuna has thrown his bow down on the floor and he's collapsed. Uh, he's weeping and Krishna is telling him to get up, man. You know, this is the battle you've been waiting for. Anyway, there's a the one very poignant element in that uh, passage about the chariots in the Katupanishad where it describes that the mind is the reins. Mm-hmm. In other words, we were given a mind to control the impulses of the senses, not mm. to yield to them, not to make them uh, seem delightful, not to fool us once again that they're going to make us permanently happy. So that's, that's a good clue, that once we get the mind free from what they call in Sanskrit sankalpa, or spontaneous random thoughts, associations and stuff, 
we can use it to control those impulses and keep our life on the right track. Absolutely. And then when we get back from the break, let's go let's go back to the battlefield a little bit and um, uh-huh. talk about the, the image itself and um, how it can be consistent with the teachings of nonviolence. Some people find that to be a big question. So you're listening to the Yoga Hour with Michael Nagler, and we'll be right back. When listeners like you contribute to the Unity Online Radio Network, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. Affirm the good that flows within you and stretch to reach your divine potential with daily inspirational messages from Daily Word. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took time for prayer, contemplation, and conversation with God. This example of Jesus struggling to accept the path before him has inspired humanity through the ages just as Jesus prepared himself for his final ordeal and ultimate triumph I prepare myself for challenges with prayer. I affirm the aspects of my personal and spiritual nature that I want to express more fully. At the same time, I am fearless in examining the ways I do not yet apply those qualities in daily life. By staying prayed up, I make wise choices in all that I think, say, and do. Every challenge becomes an opportunity for new growth and transformation. And every blessing becomes a lesson in the power of prayer. Daily Word magazine is now available in a digital format. A one-year subscription to Daily Word digital magazine with audio is only $9.95. That's less than three cents a day to start your day right, centered and connected to the truth within you. To learn how you can subscribe to this online interactive magazine, go to www.dailyword.com. What would a human life, based on the principles of an evolutionary spirituality, look like? Reverend Kelly Isola wants to talk with people of every faith, or no faith at all, to passionately participate in the next great epic in the emergence of consciousness and culture. If the choice is ours to consciously evolve, then what can life look like at this pivotal time in human history? Join us each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time for Spiraling Consciousness with host Reverend Kelly Isola right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien and I'm joined today by Michael Nagler. And we're talking about the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the battle that is portrayed there in that scripture as the inner battle that we must fight every day. And um, Michael, your work, of course, besides um, your focus on yoga and meditation, has has really taken you into the arena of teaching uh, nonviolence. And mm-hmm. you know, throughout time, I have I have actually heard some people object to this setting or the the story or the premise of the Gita that a battle is is necessary. And um, you know, they ask the question, well, you know, how can this be consistent with nonviolence? And they don't want to read a scripture um, that has violence in it and um, and so I have found that to be an interesting uh, objection 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think, of course, is that they don't understand that it's an inner battle. But but still, you know, there's the, the point they're making that, you know, we, we don't want to hold up any kind of violence. So, you know, how would you respond to that? I think the right way to approach this question is to recognize a, a perennial difference between the way India has approached spiritual evolution and the way we have approached it in the West. And in, in India... It's been realistic in the sense that the, it's been cumulative. So religion develops in stages. You know, so one stage, people worship images, let's say. So in India, they don't say, uh, get rid of those images. They're holding you back. They say, okay, if you want to worship an image, go ahead and worship it. But here's what that image means. You have to realize that it's a reflection of what's inside you. Whereas in the West, you know, for example, in, in uh, the medieval times in Greece, they had this terrible controversy about whether you should use icons or not use them. It gets very polarized and it's, you know, it's considered evil to do something that was appropriate a little bit earlier. So what the Gita is doing and the Mahabharata in general, trying to take this fact that human beings have not yet been weaned from the thirst for violence, from the sickness of war. And instead of saying, get rid of that, turn your back on it, they say, okay, you have this impulse in you, use it. And the way that the Gita emphasizes that you should use it is to recognize what is the real enemy. Every time you think you're fighting somebody outside yourself, what you're really after is to get rid of something inside you. As Dame Edith Hamilton in a beautiful poem once said, I must fight till I have conquered everything in me that makes me fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I think that's such a good point, Michael, because, you know, there are some, I think, with regard to spirituality, that there there, there is this... Um, idea that we could just transcend the world and transcend, uh, you know, our, our humanity. And that is done, but it is done with full awareness. You know, you can't just skip skip to there because yeah. what what happens is then you know when when it's not properly dealt with and in a conscious way it, you know it comes out in other ways and mm-hmm. so you know this um to understand this as the inner battle i think is actually very helpful because yeah. it helps us understand what the source of violence is if we're keen mm-hmm. to remove it from our families and from our world then we first have to understand and, you know, where it comes from and that it's, you know, tied up in this uh, false uh, sense that we are separate from one another, that it really comes down to that. Exactly. Uh, I re- remember one of the first things that I remember Sri Ashwin saying when I met him in Berkeley way, way back then in the 60s was that his teacher, who happens to have been his maternal grandmother, told him one time, son, you are born to fight. But you have a choice. If you're going to fight against others, then heads you lose, tails you lose. But if you're going to fight against all the negative impulses in yourself, heads you win and tails you win. So we all have this combative instinct, and the message of the Gita is that we don't deny it, but we uh, aim it in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Aim it at the things. That's that's why in the third chapter twice or three times it says recognize this Arjuna this is your eternal enemy as long as you're alive on this earth this ego this impulse to separate yourself from others to gain your own advantage is going to destroy you and your happiness and everything that you try to do Mm, yeah, and then and we find that what the Gita is pointing us towards is is really dharma you know, Dharma, this, mm-hmm. this way of, of righteousness. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to read for our, um, our listeners this uh, definition of Dharma, um, again, from this translation of the Eternal Way uh, commentary and the Gita. Dharma, that which upholds and maintains, that which supports creation and contributes to evolutionary processes. To live in harmony with evolutionary processes is to be righteous, appropriately correct, or dharmic. To be in accord with life's processes and one's destined path is to fulfill one's 
Dharma. So woven throughout the Gita are these um, themes of divine order, purpose, support, and duty. Um, and and that's, uh, that's critical for us to, of course, understanding who we really are, what the con- greater context of life is, and what mm-hmm. is ours to do. And, you know, one of the verses that is repeated in the Gita that, I, you know, I find so impactful is the one that says, it's better. <laughs> it's better to do one's own work and fail in the attempt than to do the work of another and succeed. Yeah. Yeah, the Gita has a beautiful way of helping us to understand what we call unity and diversity. That uh there's not only Dharma, you know, the big Dharma that prevails over everyone, and that Dharma has been identified in the Mahabharata several times as nonviolence, incidentally. Uh ahimsa paramo dharma, nonviolence is the supreme law. But then each of us has a particular implementation of that law. And that is called our svadharma, or our own dharma. And you could say that the whole purpose of life is to discover what is my svadharma and to carry it out. And in in the 18th chapter, the Gita goes on to say that you are born with this and nothing will avail you if you try to imitate another person's dharma and abandon your own. And in fact, to, to be a success at someone else's dharma is a disaster because then you you won't realize that you're supposed to you're not supposed to be there. You, know, you keep mm-hmm. telling yourself, but look, I'm making a lot of money. Look, I'm real popular, <laughs> you know. And you won't be getting the clue that hey man, you're you're headed off the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. So it's that's why it's better to fail uh in your own dharma than to succeed in someone else's because at least you'll be on the right path. Well, and it also points to a different measure of success, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, absolutely. You know, when it's talking about um, succeeding and, and failing there, that, that the point is really about the unfoldment of the soul. And mm-hmm. if, we, if we are engaged in uh, work activity that is, is not, um, that doesn't have heart and meaning, that's not connected to our own soul path, then, you know, succeeding, you know, could be measured outwardly in terms of worldly success, but it is not going to satisfy the soul. And so, you know, we, we can do work um, that is ours to do and, in a sense, fail in the eyes of the world <laughs> or, right. or even our own eyes. But, we, but when, the, when the work is uh, contributing to um, opening our um, hearts and to uh, awakening our consciousness, then that work can be called a success. Yeah, and that reminds me of this uh, last sentence in Gandhi's uh, description of his career in South Africa, called Satyagraha in South Africa. You know, he went down there to be down there for a few months, a year, and it was 21 years before he finally came back to India. And the last line of the last chapter, if I'm not mistaken, says, so with a pang I left South Africa, having discovered my vocation, mm-hmm. namely mm-hmm. to to be a Mahatma, to, <laughs> to end right. colonialism, you know that's right. that's right. his job. And you know, I'm so glad that you you brought that up, Michael, because I, you know, I was thinking about uh, uh, Sri Eshwaran um, saying that for him, that the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, came alive uh, in the life of Gandhiji and that that he he could actually see them mm-hmm. you know come into manifestation mm-hmm. so you know how how do you d- think of that you know what do you see yeah. when you look at Gandhiji's life what do mm-hmm. you see from the gita that's being demonstrated um mm-hmm. by how he lived and um you know and, and let me ask a, a corollary question with that you know we we tend to look at Gandhiji as an exceptional soul, of course. And so how do we translate that into how it might be demonstrated in our own lives? Mm-hmm. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, where'd you learn to ask such good questions? <laughs> uh, you know, on Saturday, uh, with uh, my executive director, Stephanie Van Hook, and, and with Reverend Daniel Green of St. John's Episcopal Church in Petaluma, we'll be giving a half-day seminar on uh, Jesus and nonviolence. And uh, it's, it's led me to uh, 
rediscover some aspects of Jesus' life and how he identified with the poor. Uh, he wasn't just an advocate of the poor, he identified with them. He divested himself of everything that he didn't need in order to create that identity. And if you look toward the end of chapter 6 in the Gita, it says that the highest yoga, you know, the greatest spiritual perfection, is his or hers who can feel the joys and sufferings of another just as though they were her or his own. And when you, when you look at how Gandhi lived, his identification with the poor and the outcast was so total. It just, uh, it just takes your breath away. You know, he, he, he did not, he didn't want to take, he didn't want to wear one thread of clothing on his body that he didn't need. At one time he was living on, uh, I think nine almonds a day was part of his diet. He was in prison and, Somebody thought they would fool him and give him three more. So <laughs> they thought they thought they had fooled the guy, you know. And so the next morning he said, "I will take only six almonds today." <laughs> and it, it wasn't it wasn't for self torment or anything of the kind. It was because in order to ex- to share in the life experience of the millions of India. He had to live the way they did, and it was a greater joy, a greater expansion of his consciousness to be aware of them than to close himself off from them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this, this points to you know, what you said earlier about Gandhiji, which was the awareness of his svadharma and really his soul mm-hmm. destiny, you know, what it yeah. was that he had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that the Gita is not telling us, you know, to, to live on, you know, 12 almonds a day, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the principle of yeah. living a simple life, mm-hmm. um, so, so that you can be focused on what is yours to do and so yes. that you you can be at, at at one with the higher self and with mm-hmm. all of life you know not walling mm. yourself self off from others yeah. um which creates so much sorrow you know for mm. ourselves and of course and of course for for yeah. others um I, I think one of the things of course that we see in in gandhiji that is so heartening um for us all is um that he experimented mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with the principles you know which is what we all have to do that that, that yeah. is really a living faith is mm-hmm. taking the the teachings from the mm-hmm. bhagavad gita from um the spiritual uh, teachings that we have and then um, putting them to the test, you know, yeah, yeah. which is what he did. Yeah, yeah, and of course, Ishran followed him very closely in that regard. He he was always experimenting to the end. We never really there were some things about our life here with him that were quite constant, namely meditation morning and evening, and vegetarian lifestyle, and uh, trying to avoid uh, greed and violence, of course. But how exactly to play that out, he was always exploring and encouraging us to explore mm-hmm. our own experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. you know, this, this one aspect of uh, Gandhi's life that I think he tried to somewhat conceal, and that was his very profound experiences of meditation. And that, in fact, was uh, I- Ishwaran's first clue when Sri Ishran wanted, he went to visit Gandhi in his ashram to find out, as he put it, what is the source of this man's power? Mm-hmm. Because he wanted so desperately to be of help to for India and for the world, but he had no tool, he had no power to do it with. So he goes to the ashram and he goes on a quick walk uh, and then they settle down under a neem tree, which I did a pilgrimage to a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and then the Gandhi's secretary Mahadev Desai is reading out the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, who is the illumined man. And Ishran uh, saw Gandhi, as it were, disappear. He said he felt as though he two thousand years had melted away, and he was seeing the compassionate Buddha sitting at the mm-hmm. seat of that tree. His his body was utterly motionless, 
his attention was completely drawn within in the sense that you were just talking about earlier. And uh, that was the answer to his question. That's mm-hmm. that's where this man's power is coming from. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think of Gandhiji saying, silence is a great support to, mm-hmm. the, seek- to the seeker of truth. I wish and, I could learn that. <laughs> and it is, and it, it's necessary. And of course, we find that theme, you know, woven uh, throughout the the Gita. That that in order to fight this battle, it requires um, that our mind um, be mm-hmm. purif- purified. And um, while living a simple life and certain things that we can do externally can contribute to that, the greatest tool, you know, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. is really is really meditation. Yeah. It's time for us to go to the break again. Again, I'm so glad that you have joined us for the yoga hour this morning. And as Michael mentioned, there is a seminar coming up this weekend, uh, Saturday, March 3rd in Petaluma on Jesus and nonviolence. And you can find more details on his website, metacenter.org. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. And coming up in the last segment, we're going to talk about what the Gita tells us about Action, how to act in the world. We'll be right back with you. Hi, my name is Lynn Twist. I'm the author of The Soul of Money. If you're struggling right now with a financial crisis, I recommend going to www.unityfm and listening to our course about the soul of money and how to handle this in a way that brings out the deep spirituality that's available at this time. You know, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Join author Lynn Twist for the blessing of the financial crisis. You'll learn new techniques to use the current economic situation to redefine your relationship with money. It's available now for immediate download at unity.fm in the video download section. Reverend Paulette's mantra is, it's all a prayer. Tune in every Tuesday as Unity Minister Paulette Pipe leads you in meditation and prayer on touching the stillness. Make no mistake, this is not nap time. With an energy that will captivate you, touching the stillness will guide you in deep meditation, leaving you enlivened. Hear astounding meditations and learn more about different forms of meditation. Enrich your prayer life as Reverend Paulette, Senior Minister of Touching the Stillness Ministries, affirmatively prays with power and authority by taking live prayer requests from callers like you. Whether you have a prayer request for yourself or for a loved one or are ready for a deepened meditation experience, make sure you tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time, where we'll be joining in consciousness with the unceasing prayer activity of the Silent Unity 24-7 Prayer Ministry at Unity Village. That's Touching the Stillness with Rev. Paulette Pipe every Tuesday right here on Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Letting go in the stillness. You're listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at yoga hour at unity.fm and we will respond now back to the yoga hour welcome back to the yoga hour i'm ellen grace o'brien and my guest today is michael negler we're talking about the wisdom 
found in the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, the inner battle, the battle that we must fight every day, and the key to victory. In the opening segment, we were uh, Michael had brought up the question that Arjuna asks um, that is uh, found in 336, uh, chapter 3, verse 36. By what influence is a person impelled to commit error as if by a force that is contrary to personal will? And it reminded me of a poem of Rumi's uh, translated by Coleman Barks, and I want to share that with you. Who makes these changes? I shoot an arrow right, it lands left. I ride after a deer and find myself chased by a hog. I plot to get what I want and end up in prison. I dig pits to trap others and fall in. I should be suspicious of what I want. <laughs> so it's a beautiful uh, commentary about how, you know, we, we can think we're moving in one direction, but, you know, find out that the results that come are are not uh, what we were looking for. Now, the Gita tells us that, of course, all action has consequences, and significantly that it's not possible for us to refrain from action. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we must act. And so, you know, a good question is what practical wisdom does the Gita have for us about how to act? And this is really the op- is why I love that you said, you know, there, some of the most poignant parts are Arjuna's questions. And, of course, that's mm-hmm. the opening question. You know, he's a man of action. He doesn't know how to act. And um, that's a really important question. So what does the Gita tell us about action? Yeah. Well, I, I when I taught my nonviolence course at Berkeley, I spent a couple of weeks on the Gita theory of action. And <clears throat> those lectures are available on our website. Actually, the whole last year was webcast. I wouldn't have understood any of this, though, if I hadn't been meditating with Sri Ishran. And through his eyes, looking into the Gita... Uh, it became very clear they are addressing a question which is not a natural preoccupation for us Americans, which is how do I avoid the taint, the pollution of action? And and though we don't think about that very much, it certainly is a part of our life. Right now, more American servicemen and women have committed suicide than have been killed in battle in, in our Mideast wars. And why is that? Because they have been led into actions which were uh, utterly violating to their own soul. And they can't stand it, they can't live with themselves after that. So it's a very, very real question whether we're in that uh, horrendous situation or, or not, is how can we act, how can we carry out what is called a karma, an act, without accumulating karma, without the spiritual residue uh, that uh, that haunts us. And so th- we tend to approach this by thinking, what action should I do and what action should I avoid? But the Gita says it's a good bit more subtle than that. Yes, there is a preordained action, a niyatam karma that you were born with. You have to discover what it is and carry it out. But even if you do the action that's ordained for you to do, that matches your strengths and weaknesses that the world needs, if you think that you're doing it, you are entrapped in illusion, and that is going to stain you. It's going to taint your consciousness. Mm, so, because it's a, it's a fundamental um, error in, perspe- in, in, in perspective, you know, thinking that there yeah. is a separate self to be mm-hmm. the doer. Um, and so the, the, the Buddha will even go so far as to say, there is no separate self, it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. So in practical terms, I mean, I cannot disabuse myself of that illusion. I, I still think that I exist <laughs> after all these years. So, But what I can do is I can detach myself from what the Gita calls the fruits of the action. So I no longer uh, I allow myself to be driven by the results. So um, I recognize that the act is being done through me by a force to the extent that I keep myself, my selfish desires out of the picture. 
And not being attached to the fruits does not mean, Gandhi was very clear about this, it does not mean that we don't pay attention to the results. It means we don't try to personally benefit from them. Mm. You know, it's like if I were a doctor and if I, if someone who is ill comes into my office and I help that person, I'm allowed to notice that the treatment worked, to feed that in so that I'll be a better doctor next time. I'm even allowed to be happy that that person is better. I'm even allowed to be happy that I played some role in that. I can pay attention to the fulfillment that I feel from that. But I'm not going to do that in order to get money or to get my colleagues to think I'm terrific or any kind of personal benefit that doesn't affect others but only benefits me. Mm, and what you're describing in the Bhagavad Gita, of course, is called karma yoga, right? This selfless well, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There are th- there are three basic paths to illumination, you know, karma, jnana, and bhakti, or action, wisdom, or devotion. And none of them can actually be practiced independently. I mean, one right. <laughs> really funny thing that you notice about the Gita is that it's, it's going to say, okay, this chapter <laughs> is all about karma. And the next thing you know, it's saying it's about bhakti. <laughs> right, exactly. So they're, all, they're all woven in together. But the secret of karma yoga, I, I think you can boil it down to three things. To pick the right act, to do it with the right means, which almost inevitably means nonviolence, and then to not be attached to the personal fruits uh, of the action that you've done. Mm-hmm. So and also, keep- you know, as we talk about, you know, acting without attachment to the fruits, without attachment to results, um, you know, there's an element in there, I think, of understanding that we really don't have control over the results. <laughs> they don't That's belong right. to us. We don't have, they don't belong mm-hmm. to us and we don't have control over them ultimately. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have control over pieces of it that we bring, you know, the spirit in which we are, are working, you know, and it, and the Gita, as you say, it, it doesn't say that we shouldn't have goals and we shouldn't work with intention. Um, but we need to understand this particular piece <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that the outcome does not belong to us. We don't control it. And it is not ours, and it is not for our self um, gratification. Yeah, I remember Ishwin uh, telling us that uh, Gandhi, one of Gandhi's favorite verses in chapter two, where it says "Karmanyeva dikaraste ma paleshu katachana," which means you have every right to act. In fact, you cannot refrain from action, but you have no rights to the fruits. Mm-hmm. So that's the threefold simple. Not easy, but simple secret. You know, do the right thing, <laughs> do the right thing, do it nonviolently, and then step out of the picture. As Thomas Merton once said, we, we're not required to accomplish anything. We're accomplished to do something that God can make something out of. Yeah, that's a beautiful way, and I, and, I, and I think that we can also point that the Gita has quite a bit to say about doing our work as worship, um, mm. you know, doing it as an offering, and yeah. so it, it becomes a path to divine remembrance, you know, not for self, um, but for the one, which of course then it would be uh, nonviolent because it would be for the benefit of, of all um, beings, and so we're we're just about uh, getting ready to conclude here. And um, Michael, what is the wisdom of the Gita that you would most like to leave us with today? Oh gosh, that uh, as it says in the second chapter, even a little bit of this Dharma goes a long way and saves us from the greatest fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the the possibility of Restoration, complete happiness is within every one of us and it's within our grasp. And as long as we can get over this delusion that it's outside us, that we're empty and we need to fill ourselves with something outside of us and calm our minds down so that we can begin to detect the source of that joy and wisdom within us, I think every single one of us can have the greatest joy and the greatest success in life. 
Thank you. That is such a beautiful summary of the good news of the Bhagavad Gita, <laughs> that it's really a call to get over the delusion that yes, it is right. out, outside of us. It's been a joy to share this yoga hour with you, and I thank Michael Nagler for being my guest today. I want to point you again to his website, metacenter.org, and also you can um, visit the website of Sri Eshwaran at uh, E-A-S-W-A-R-A-N dot org, www.E-A-S-W-A-R-A-N dot org. And I also want to uh, point you to the archived uh, Yoga Hour programs with Michael. We did um, a program together on uh, in October of uh 2011 on Ahimsa, the power of nonviolence to light the world. Um, please join me next week as I meet with special guest Dr. Jay Kumar for the program Let Your Light Shine, encouraging words for living your divine purpose, a continuation in this series on the Bhagavad Gita. And of course, that's what's happening on Sunday mornings at the Center for Spiritual in. Uh, enlightenment in San Jose and you can visit our website csecenter.org Michael, thank you again for joining me on the Yoga Hour it's uh, been a beautiful experience to share with you this morning You're so welcome, Ellen thank you very much for inviting me back there's nothing I like better than talking about Ishran and the Bhagavad Gita <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Alright, we'll all look forward to being with all of you next week Until then, let your inner light shine into the world and remember to share your peace and your joy with all that you meet Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Rev. Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on this message from Daily Word. Is something in your life causing you concern? Don't be discouraged. The presence of God is peace and harmony, healing and creative ideas, is with you every moment of every day, providing the help you need. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. You are a spiritual being, blessed with all that you need for happiness and fulfillment. God's wisdom will guide you. God's strength will help you do all that you need to do. And God's joy will lighten your heart with hope and courage. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Hello, Unity Online Radio. Yes, I was wanting to know if I can listen to Unity Online Radio on my smartphone. Actually, yes. 
iPhone and Android users can now listen live to Unity Online Radio with the Live 365 app. This is great news. How do I get the app? Getting the app is super easy. You'll need to download our broadcast partner's app, Live 365. iPhone users can go to iTunes to download the Live 365 app. Android users can go to the Android market. Once the app is downloaded onto your mobile device, search for Unity Online Radio. And voila, your favorite hosts, live on your phone. Wow. Unity Online Radio, on the go? How cool is that? To learn more, go to www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. 